Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. We're happy to be here this beautiful yes, Tuesday are. morning. Yes. Um, if you've never listened to the Salty Pastor Podcast before, we're all about Jesus here and helping you discover what is true on your own. We're not here to tell you what to believe or how to think, but instead we're going to teach you to make critical thoughts all on your own and make the decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. Pastor Doug has been um, researching the world. He studies philosophy, psychology, all kinds of different things <laughs> so that he can better help you understand the world as it is going on around you, as crazy as it is. So without further ado, please welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> well, thank you, Jesse. So good to be with all of you today. And this is the Salty Pastor, where our goal is to help give you the truth about what history teaches, philosophy teaches, what rhetoric and logic teaches, but most importantly, what Jesus Christ teaches in the New Testament. And it's all about understanding your role in the world. And when you understand what you believe and why you believe it, when you understand the reality in which we actually live, then you become the hero, I believe, that you were meant to be. And it's not something you're creating out of yourself. It's something about finding your place in God's purpose for this reality. Well, we are currently in a series titled Nonsense, um, where we're discussing, discussing how human beings make sense out of their lives. Yeah. Uh, we've discussed the overwhelming influence of senselessness in a person's life. Mm -hmm. Very uh, we've pointed out how the letter of the Apostle John uh, was written to teach us how to recognize all the ideologies in the world that produce senseless mm -hmm. living. Yes. And our, our hope is that you're discovering what you believe is one of the most important things mm -hmm. about you, right? You've been yeah. saying that for a while now, but I think this series really just brings that philosophy home, right? Yeah, it's really, it's really pointed in its message towards that specific principle. It was written by John in the second half of the second century. So it's probably written sometime between 65 AD and 85 AD. Most okay. people think around the 70s. And the reason why this is important is because the church was started on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus Christ in around, you know, 33, 34 AD. And then the book of Acts tracks basically the life of Paul and how the church grew over a 30 year period and it ends with him in Rome. Right. And then it just kind of drops off, which is kind of a bummer because you always want to know what happens next. But Paul was executed in Rome. And around 65, 66 AD. And then a lot of the other apostles then were martyred during that period. John was the longest living apostle. And the early uh, difficulty in the church was well, how Jewish are we going to be? Are we going to be a Jewish uh, thing or is this Christianity a different thing? What is that? And so you see the book of Acts, the evolution of that. Well, then what happens is Gnosticism comes in. And when Gnosticism came in, it changed the entire challenge of first century Christianity. Mm. And so that's why this book was written by John to the church. And the importance of what he's saying here cannot be overlooked because, you know, he basically 
shows that there are a lot of different ways of looking at the world, and we call these ideologies, okay? And have you ever today wondered why are there so many ideologies constantly being pushed in the world in which we live? Everybody's saying, well, this is the reality, this is the reality. Well, it's because what you believe, your worldview, drives what you care about, mm. what, you're, what you're really passionate about. It drives how you perceive what is going on in the world. It drives your decisions. It drives your behavior. Therefore, if someone can influence what you believe, if they can paint a frame of reference in your life, then they can lead you where they want you to be. They can manipulate you easily. It's all about control. And that's why what you believe is so important. Because if you know why you believe what you believe, then you are less likely to be manipulated or led astray by all of these different ideologies. And people have less control over you as a person. And so it's really important. What you believe is one of the most important things about you. So we're kind of in the, we've been studying, working through all the chapters of First John. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in the fourth chapter and how... We, we, we've been working through all these different verses. Um, I think some of the ver most important or most quoted verses um, in, yeah, the, in the chapter four the chapter is seven to the end, verse seven to the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those, are, those are used a lot in a lot of different sermons, all these different things, um, little meme graphics, you know, things like that. They're, they're very quotable, right? Very quotable. Um, but I noticed that verse three is kind of usually left out of these sermons and uh, teachings and messages, and and that comes from this chapter. Why is why are people a little hesitant on verse three? <laughs> well, it's I think it's the first three verses, you know, are but verse three in particular says this: every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God, you know, is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now in the world. You know, these, these, these verses, uh, there's actually six of them, you know, verses one through six, appear right before all the statements that you said are so quotable. Because the ones that you're talking about are God is love, we love because he first loved us. Right. You know, you can't love God and hate your brother. So he makes a lot of declarative statements that are very quotable. Uh, they look really great on Instagram word swags. Yes. And, uh, but what people don't realize is that these six verses are really important. So let me read them. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many prof false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit, meaning any teaching or ideology or position, that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth 
and the spirit of falsehood. So these six verses appear right before all the statements, like you said, that God is love. We're to love one another. Why are they so important when when it comes to loving God and loving people? I mean, we, we always yeah. talk about context is really important when you're mm-hmm. when you're pulling a verse out of Scripture, right? Because yes. otherwise, you can just pull any phrase out of the Bible and it can start saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, we tend to ignore these six leading up to this. Um, what context does that give us for the next seven or the, 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 the next set of verses? Well, you know, all these declarative statements about God is love. We love because he first loved us. Brothers, let us love one another for love is from God. All of these statements are very, very important, but you cannot understand what they mean without truth because truth is necessary for true love to exist. If there is no truth, there is no context, as you said, or foundation for love to exist. You cannot love someone when you don't believe anything is true. If there is no truth, there is no definition of what love really is, its essence or nature. The Gnostics used the same words, but they redefined what the words meant. And this was a huge problem. One outcome was that they redefined love as sexual fulfillment, you know. And so when they said, well, loving God is, uh, we're supposed to love each other, and that's sexual fulfillment with one another. Right. The end result, though, is that people were sexualized. Your sexual pursuits were what gave your life meaning. This, of course, had drastic and horrible consequences in that first and second century in Rome, uh, particularly in the Gnostic movement. When you go back and you read about one of the leaders of it, his name was Valentinus. He's very wealthy, and he tried to start, he built a church building for Gnostic Christianity in every uh, city that he traveled to. And you read about what they did. It was terrible. Children were sexualized. They, they wanted to teach children about sex and everything had to do with sex from as early as possible that they could do pedophilia and pederastry was very prominently practiced, which was, a, you know, terrible practices. Uh, women in this, in this movement were demeaned and reduced to sexual objects. One of the things that early Christianity did is it was such an empowering thing for women because women were... Uh, were being encouraged to go into the worship of uh, Diana, the fertility goddess. Mm. And what that did is that reduced women to just sexualized creatures, second-class sexual creatures. Well, Christianity came in, and everybody, particularly women, were extremely attracted to it at first. A lot of the first converts you read about in the book of Acts were women, you see. And I think the reason why is because Christianity elevated and firmed the value of men. It really did. It says there's no favorites. We're all, you know, co-heirs with Christ, brothers in Christ. So the notion of this really strict social hierarchy didn't, which was popular in Rome, didn't exist in Christianity. Our goal was to try to be equal, you know, as men. It also then, because of that, elevated and affirmed the value of women as co-heirs with Christ. You know, Paul even said in his letters, there is no male or female, for we are all one in Christ. So there's this massive elevation of women in these societies. And finally, children uh, were highly valued. And in Rome, the Romans 
they practiced infanticide like you wouldn't believe, you know. Mm. And Gnosticism and its influence was absolutely horrendous for kids. Just think of the toxicity of sexually abusing children the way they did and how that, you know, affected the trajectory of their life. And so all of these things um, were really, really important to John to articulate that truth is critical if we're going to understand what real love is. Right. Because most everybody talks about love all the time. We'll really talk about this on Thursday. Is everybody talks about love because the drive of the human heart is love. That, that's the thing that drives us to our core. And if you're a person that doesn't have that drive or even a little drip or inkling or a pinprick of that drive, they call you psychotic <laughs> and they want to lock you up. You know, serial killers have that, have, have no, yeah. have, are missing that. 99.999% of the human population is driven by love in our soul. That's what we're driven for. And so, but if we try to define it ourselves we try to make it up ourselves if we you know like postmodernism teaches that there is no truth there's no objective truth and even if there was you couldn't know it anyway well just think what that does for the pursuit of love and you see that in our society you see just people doing such radical things to try to find affirmation or to bring value to their own lives and it just seems to be becoming a more disappointing pursuit right because more and more people are disappointed. And this is why truth is so important to experiencing authentic love in your soul. So I think the, the most interesting part of that is that when you redefine love as something that isn't real love and you, you're pursuing that you're, you're trying to fill a hole you have with something that's never going to fill it. Like it's, it's just, you're, you're trying to shove more and more things in there to try to make it work and nothing quite feels right. And you're like, this isn't working. So you reevaluate again and you're trying to change the definition again. And I think experiencing real love, the, the real kind of love, the kind of love that God talks mm-hmm. about, that's the only thing that's going to really fill you up. But if everyone in the world's telling you, well, real quote air quotes for those of you who yeah. aren't watching, um, real love is, you know, sex or some other form that they that yeah. the culture is dictating. You're always going to be looking to fill that hole. You won't have real peace. Like right. it's and and you will be disappointed. Yeah, your your expectations are always going to be non met, and then you're going to be disappointed. You're going to have issues. It's going to probably cause a lot of other things to go on in your life because you're not happy with what you thought was the great pursuit of love. And so it's like, I think really having that real definition of love and experiencing that is so, so important. And a lot of people get um, sidetracked or get lied to about what that is. Yeah. So I want to kind of read about the kind of love that God talks about or that, that John shares in this chapter. Uh, We're going to start at verse seven. We're going into the quotables. The quotables. So, Uh, Verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Mm. This is love, not that we loved God, but that we he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Well, because he uses the word love so much, he's obviously talking about love. Right. I I think this might be about love. I'm just going to throw it out. Throw it out there. Uh, Notice, though, a couple of things that he does. Uh, He immediately states that the foundation of love comes from God, not ourselves. He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. This isn't something that you make up. It's not something I make up. We don't get to decide what it is or it isn't. And if what we want is how we define love, if self-fulfillment or the pursuit of self-fulfillment is how you define love, then the greatest need of the human soul is defined as living in a way to get what you want, you know? And today we use this term all the time. Well, I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. But nobody actually knows how to be happy. Because if you you ask a person, well, I want to be happy. Well, I'm not happy. Well, I'm in a marriage and this person doesn't meet my needs and they don't understand me. So if you find a guy or a gal who understands you and does everything you want, you'll be happy. And the first thing a person will always come back to me and say is this, is say, well, no, because that person doesn't exist. You know, no one, you know, I said, okay, maybe there's a problem with the context and what you think will make you happy, right? right? The, it's the, the, your belief system is creating unhappiness in your life. So evaluate your worldview, your belief system. So in, in John is saying, love comes from God. This is the reality. So if you try to find love apart from God, it ain't going to happen. Mm. The second thing he states is, if you love, then you know God. Okay, the greatest heresy in American Christianity today is this. If I pursue what I think is love, then that is knowing God because that's what God wants. But that's a heresy and people don't get that. They don't get that. You see, love comes from where? In yourself? No, it comes from God. So when I love in God's definition, in God's reality of love, then that's how I know I am in God. That's how I know that I have been born of God and that I'm in a relationship with him. What John is saying is clear. When you pursue God's definition of love, since it comes from him, that is how you know you're walking with God. He then goes on to say immediately after this, this is the definition of love that comes from God. No, he goes, this is how we know, right? This is how we know. And I think that's really interesting. Verse 10 goes on to say this. This is what it is. Not that we loved God. So we didn't create God because we needed to. We didn't create God to fill a void in our life. We didn't. He's saying we didn't love God first. He loved us. Mm. And then he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the definition of love is not getting what I want. The definition of love is God's activity 
exemplified in the sacrificial act of sending his son. And that's how we see God, is when we love one another in the way that God defines love. And so uh, this is very practical in its application, particularly in marriage, you know, because it's such a great illustration or case study. Right. Maybe you're not married, you're dating somebody, right? Well, if, if the point of dating is to try to find the person that meets all of your needs, then it usually ends in a crash and burn. If you're married and you think the purpose of your marriage is that person fulfills all of your needs, then you will be perpetually unhappy. You know, the purpose of loving people is to, or to discover real love with other people is to love people the way God loves me. And so you want to be careful in your choice, right? But what you want to do is once you choose, you want to make a covenant. And the covenant is, is represented in vows that we take. And it's so interesting how people spend all this time writing vows, thinking about their vows, taking vows. They spend tens of thousand dollars to take vows in front of everybody and have a dance and <laughs> DJ and lights and cakes and presents and all this kind of huge party. They celebrate it. I mean, weddings are blowout parties, aren't they? Yep. They're just incredibly fun. But the whole point is you're celebrating the vows that you took and then the vows become completely irrelevant in the way you exercise your relational covenant each and every day. Right. And so the point is, is that, well, the vows are taken to uphold the virtue of loving one another in the way that God loves me. And that's what's so critical about this is that you'll never find true love if your definition of love is what you believe is actual love. Well, and I, th I think like you said, it's all about making sure your definition's correct. If you're yeah. listening to the world, um, like I was talking about earlier, you're going to be disappointed. If you're making up your own version, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you know what's best and you're like, this is what I need to be really loved, you're going to be disappointed because you're, you're setting an expectation that probably one, most people can't meet. Right. I know I was in a relationship, one of my very first ones, and the biggest mistake I made was, oh, the expectation is I'm going to be with you and then suddenly I'm going to be happier. And that's yeah. oh, putting the weight of your happiness on someone else. That's like one of the most selfish things you can do is you exist in this relationship to make me happy and to fulfill yeah. my uh, desire and needs to be complete as far as happiness is concerned. And it's like, no one can do that. We're human. <laughs> we're, we're gonna mess that up. And so it's like, that was a terrible idea of what I thought being in a relationship and being yeah. in love was. And so I think that's what a lot of our culture does, but they don't have the revelation of, Hey, this is wrong. They just go, Oh, well that person just wasn't the right one. Yeah. We'll get them next time. We'll find the next one. Yeah. Um, so let's see what John teaches concerning the impact of loving as God defines love. So, okay. uh, verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us, he has given us, uh, his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lo lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world we are like Jesus. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Well, here's some really great principles that I think are critically important to understand. The first thing he says, this is how you know that you live in him and him in us. So how am I assured that I've been redeemed? How can I be assured that I'm going to heaven? How, uh, you know, how can I be assured that right now I'm being transformed into the image of Christ each and every day through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I know that? Right. How do I know I'm an authentic Christian? Well, this is how you know. He says, this is how you can know. And so he says, we've seen it and we testify to it. It's all about Jesus. And he gave us of his spirit. You know, it's really interesting because in English, it, this is one of those really quirky things that is difficult to interpret the original Greek. He says, this is how we know he has given us. So he's given us a gift of his spirit. So what he's saying is that there is a portion of the divine presence of God that is given to you. Paul describes it this way. It's a deposit, you know, um, another place he calls it the kiss of the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit is an agent of true love in your life. You know, this is how you know is the Holy Spirit working on your heart of authentic, true love. Have, uh, you have the Holy Spirit when you acknowledge, and that's a very important word here. What does acknowledge mean? Well, obviously, the base of the word is knowledge. Right. So you have to have a certain understanding of, you know, like what you believe and what you know to be true. But then acknowledge, meaning you have to embrace it completely. So there's a notion of focus and purity of your mental acceptance of these facts. And so... That's why believing is really, really important. And you're acknowledging who Jesus is, what he did, and why he did it for you. So it's not just saying, well, I believe in Jesus. No, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, okay, what does that mean? Because today, you know, almost every movie I see that's rated PG-13 or not uses the name Jesus as a swear word. Mm. At some point in there, so, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, you know, obviously this swear word came from some guy. You know, right. a lot of people are like, you know, there's all these memes on the internet of who Jesus is, right? So, but the thing is, is that that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, can you acknowledge, can you embrace, and you can believe is this is not only was a Jesus, but this is why Jesus came. This is the reality in which we live, which means that you have to accept the fact about your true nature. Because see, a lot of people don't want to accept the fact about their true nature at all, why Jesus died on the cross, the purpose of his death, and what his resurrection from the dead means for you today. That's what he's saying. When you acknowledge this, then your life is, okay, now I understand what real love is. So when we live in love, we're living in God, but we can't live in love unless we acknowledge and know Jesus Christ and have the deposit or the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. And this is how we wait, how we know. This is the way in which we know this is happening to turn us into Christ-likeness or like Jesus. 
So once that happens, you get confidence. You have complete confidence that you're a redeemed person. You get complete courage that you can go out now and live in a way differently. You have complete courage to overcome all of those things that hold you back. And it all, it all comes down to a very simple thing uh, um, about what you believe. Uh, I, I remember this gal that was talking. She just took a little tiny twist on it, and she says, um, do you believe in Jesus or do you believe Jesus? And I thought that was an interesting way that she takes out that little, uh, some might call it an infinitive or a little preposition that says in. And so do you believe in Jesus? And I can believe in something and that's still by out there. Right. But when you say, do you believe Jesus? There's all this subtle nuance that says, okay, do I believe I have to know what he's saying, right? And what is he saying about me and what he did for me and why he's doing it? And so now I have a conversation. It comes from a, a philosophical idea of belief yeah. into a relational belief. Absolutely. Just by taking that one little preposition out of there. Right. And so... Uh, that's kind of what he's talking about here. And so that's what that's the point of love. The point of love is confidence. The point of love is courage. The point of love is assurance and affirmation and value. When we walk in love and live in love and experience love, then we become the best humans that you could ever imagine. But without love, it's not going to happen. And the reason why it's not happening is because our world has so redefined love, nobody has any idea what it is anymore. Well, as we're getting ready to wrap up, let's finish up these last couple of verses. Um, his, John's final teachings kind of bring it all together. So uh, verse 19 says, We love because he loved us first. Oh, sorry. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Well, he brings it together with two primary principles. The first one is this. Our capacity to love, our capacity to experience real love, the idea that your soul can be full and complete and, and transformed is based on God's love for you. So it starts with God, it flows through God, it ends with God, and of course, God is Jesus Christ. So everything about this comes together when we live in God. And love is the context, the conduit, the atmosphere of mm -hmm. where all of this takes place. The second thing he teaches that is that the value we place on people reveals if we are walking in this transformational love. The value that we place on people reveals if we are walking in this transformational love. And so I think that's really important to understand is that the goal, the whole notion of the value of people, the whole notion of the sovereignty of the individual is a uniquely Christian concept and principle. And it comes out of this. And that is, is that you can't treat a person regardless of their social status, regardless of the, the impact that they've had in the world, uh, whether it's great or nothing, you can't treat them right without value because the way we value people is how we continue to live and breathe the atmosphere of the love of God. 
Mm. Right. So you can't create an incongruence, an illogical or a contradiction. You can't say, well, I love God, but not value people. And so that and that's really interesting is that I like to say it that way because the world is so redefined love that a lot of Christians don't even know what it means to love their brother. And some and sometimes what it means is this is that I'm going to stand up for what's right and I'm going to have really hard conversations, crucial conversations with people. And I'm not going to adopt things and say things that make me weak or Christianity weak anymore. And you know, Christianity changed one of the most dysfunctional but control power hungry cultures in the world called the Roman Empire and transformed it into something radically different. And and it all did that because it was willing to stand strong. And they did they were able to stand strong and be courageous in the face of persecution because of love. You see. That and, and that's what's really critical is that love has the power to change the world. The problem is is the world's definition only corrupts the world with love. It's only God and his love that has the power to change the world. And so that's really what he's teaching here. And I think that that's why it goes back to those first six verses. It's all tied together. And that is, is that the truth is critical to understanding what real love is. And it's only real love that allows us to know God, live in God, and then love our brother and sister and give them value. Without that, nothing works. Well, I think those are some great thoughts to kind of end on today. We're going to be talking a lot more about love, I'm assuming, on Thursday and the different kinds of love that the world propagates versus what God talks about. So uh, we're just so glad you guys joined us this, um, like I said, beautiful Tuesday here in Boise, Idaho. Weather's looking good, and we're excited for um, this weekend as well. Pastor Doug's going to be giving a great sermon. We're going to be doing some very cool stuff. Him and I have been planning some cool stuff, so I think it's going to be great. And we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings on you all.